everybody, and welcome to No Chick Flick Moments, your one-stop shop for all supernatural meta. I am your co-host, Remy. And I'm your other co-host, B. This is our Supernatural Watchcast. Are you guys ready to continue on in Season 2 with Episode 11, Playthings? Yes. I am really fond of this episode. I remember it probably more strongly than some of the other early seasons episodes. I don't know why, but maybe it's because it's really pulling from The Shining and the whole haunted hotel thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very it's very monster of the week. I really like the vibe, and it you know they they said I want to do a haunted house, uh, haunted. Ha- what did I just say? Haunted, haunted <laughs> hospital. <laughs> a haunted house episode and that's what they did and they did it well they did a good job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are some questionable things in this episode <laughs> i feel like we're gonna get into i think we probably have the same thing in mind but yeah um remy what's the deets for this one well, this was an episode written by Matt Witten. It is his second episode, uh, along with No Exit, also in season two. It was mm-hmm. the H.H. H. Holmes episode. And this is his last episode, too, I think. It is his second and last. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. showing, Matt Witten. This episode was directed by Charles Beeson. This is his first episode, Charles's first episode, but he directs from season two to season six and even comes back in season 15. Oh, wow. So I, an, a legend, kind of, or at least <laughs> historical landmark. <laughs> let me Let me give you a little sampling. I think that his season four episodes are a great little... Uh, Encapsulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of what he brings to us, seasons two through six, and then again in 15. His season four episodes, he, he, he directs a total of four episodes, the most of any of his seasons that he was involved mm-hmm. in, in Supernatural. But in season four, he directs It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. Oh, yes. I Know What You Did Last Summer, a.k.a. the Anna episode. Sex and Violence, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the... Siren, Siren episode, and the Rapture, which is actually I'm not sure I know which which one that was. That's the Jimmy Novak one. Yes, that is the Jimmy Novak one. Jesus, so some pretty formative moments in season four. Yes, he also brings us uh, Changing Channels, Ninety Nine Problems, The Friends Mistake. Oh wow! Yeah, he 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 had some big he had some big ones in there. So indeed, legendary status. Mm-hmm. I like those season four. I like hmm. <laughs> my my <laughs> first thought. My first thought when I was reading his episodes, and just what I know of the standout moments in some of those episodes that he directed. I can only imagine that they shuffled him off after season six because Charles, you're you're just. I'm sorry, we can't keep you anymore. You're making it too gay. Okay. <laughs> It's not written that way, but somehow, somehow, you're just, it's, it's just it, coming it, across really gay, Charles, okay? 
So I'm hearing the writers pointing fingers at the directors and then the directors pointing fingers at the writers <laughs> and being like, no, you guys put it on the page. This is what you did. I no, I I don't know. I would hmm, thinking about it's the great pumpkin <laughs> or thinking about uh, sex and violence or thinking about mm-hmm. I know what you did last summer. These are episodes. It's like it wasn't written to be gay. And yet. And yet. And yet. somehow the gay breaks through. I mean, even this episode, I was like, Charles, is that you? And <laughs> in certain I, moments of this episode. See, me, I was like, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Let's get into it. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm only halfway through. Uh, the original air date was July, sorry, January. July. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> January. One of those J months, you know. <laughs> we got enough of them. 18th of 2007 and the synopsis for this episode reads sam and dean investigate two strange deaths at a small connecticut inn run by a single mom whose young daughter plays with an imaginary friend the brothers find evidence of voodoo around the inn but soon realize the little girl's imaginary friend may in fact be a demon who is killing the townspeople Oh, wow. We're just going to drive off a cliff at the end there. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. I was going to say, they were doing really good. (laughs) And then spoke too soon. Yeah, you know how they go. Okay, so should we jump into it now? Let's do it. Okay. So our recap this time is reminding us of Dean's confession regarding John's final words. And, um... The fact that the special children are out there, there seems to be a plan for them, and that our latest special child, Ava Wilson, has gone missing. Yes, which is where we left off last episode, and once we get back with the boys, we have passed some time, but we're picking, essentially picking up where we left off with Ava. Mm-hmm. But before we get to them, we start our cold open at the Pierpont Inn. It has a wooden vacancy sign, and there is a mover showing up late at night, apparently here to get some donations to Goodwill, and a Susan Thompson chatting with him, um, sort of lamenting that there's so much history here, but unfortunately they're moving. Yes, just, well, they don't talk about it now, but it's the inn and the mover is uh, talking with Susan like, oh, wow, we're really closing down. You know, there's so much history. My parents got engaged in this house and their parents, too. And Susan vaguely just says, yeah, but it's time to move on. Yeah. So they're shutting down the business. Yeah. And there's also two young children here, um, a girl named Tyler, and then also Maggie. Um, They are, well, Tyler's a little bit worried about the fate of her toys, considering the Goodwill agent is here. Um, She goes to a doll room and approaches a replica dollhouse that looks identical to this inn. And she's putting dolls to bed, but... Somehow, one of the dolls falls down the stairs in this dollhouse and has its neck turned around. 
And in the next moment, in the main hall, we see that this mover has suffered the same fate. Yeah. Yes, we saw Susan place the doll uh, in a chair in one of the bedrooms uh, upstairs and then move on to put her other dolls to bed. And when she next revisits that room that she had put the doll in on the chair, it's not in the chair anymore. And instead, it's mysteriously at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. In another part of the house entirely. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then poor Larry the moving guy is at the foot of the real life stairs with his head completely snapped around, his mouth kind of gibbering and his hands reflexively flexing and a pool of blood pouring out from underneath him, encroaching towards some of these shattered dolls. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't go with the bad CGI this time. We got some some practical effects in with this yep. know, mask or mannequin, and it's like, it's pretty creepy. Pretty, yep. pretty creepy. The companion book says that it was like a rubber mask, whatever, and that the actor was face was peering through eye holes that were in the hair. Mm-hmm. So they were like... Going, like you said, going old school on this one. But title card. Now we go back to Peoria, Illinois. There are Ava's missing posters up around, and Sam has been searching but has found no leads. And basically says, okay, there's been nothing for the past month. But Ellen has found this hotel in Connecticut that's had two freak accidents in the last three weeks. Um, It might be nothing, but we can go check it out. And Dean is surprised, figuring that Sam would still be moping about Ava's fate. Yeah, Dean is surprised. A a case? You want to take a case? And you, Sam. yeah. <laughs> well, Sam is surprised that Dean is surprised, and mm-hmm. I can't tell if Dean is actually like questioning if Sam's okay or if he's just being a little shit. Well, I yeah. don't know, Sam. It, this doesn't seem very. This doesn't seem like the Sam Winchester patented way. You know, where's the the angst, the droopy music, staring out into the rain streaked window? Yeah. And like, if it's been a month of them being here, okay, that seems unusual that they'd spend that much time caring about it. I'm sorry, that sounds mean, but like, a month in one place feels like a long time for them. And that Sam has kept his spirits up seems to be a surprise to Dean. Yeah, because Sam says, look... It's it's been a month, no trace of Ava, but I can't just sit around and let other people die. We need to save as many as we can. Yeah. And Dean says, "Well, that's frighteningly well adjusted of you." Yeah, that's way too healthy. We can't be going ahead with that in our lives. So, with them on the case now, they drive to this inn in Connecticut and Dean's sort of admiring the facade of it. He is excited about this old school haunted house, um, kind of referencing back to Scooby-Doo and his love for Daphne. Yeah, yeah. He, it's, a you know, that big Victorian mansion. Got that 
English cottage kind of feel. I know those are two completely different aesthetics, but I, <laughs> yeah, I said it. I did it. Like, yeah. Yes. Um, German craftsman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know terms. <laughs> But he, well, that's kind of what Dean's saying. He's like, do you think they serve tea? Speak an English accent. Right, right. Yes. No, this is, this is old school, he says. Yeah. But Sam almost stops them in the tracks of this idea that it is an old fashioned haunting. um, Because he spots a quincunx, I think is how you pronounce it. But it's this five-spot symbol on the interior of a potted plant. Or on the exterior, I should say. It's on the interior of a vase later. Um, But he recognizes this symbol as something that's used in hoodoo, um, even though the accompanying plant isn't growing in the planter. Yeah, they say you fill this planter with bloodwort, and that's a powerful ward against enemies. Uh, and no blood wart, but that planter, like, hey, this is, this is hoodoo. Yeah. And Dean puts in, don't we, don't we seem a little white meat for hoodoo here? I'm like, Dean, you haven't even been inside. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> Maybe he's just commenting on Connecticut as a whole. He's like, oh. this location does not normally speak the same language as New Orleans, say. That's fair. But yeah, also that maybe an old school in like this belongs to kind of uppity white people more likely than not. Mm-hmm. At any rate, they do go inside and Susan greets them, kind of making comments that they could be some of this place's last guests. And they're like, well, that sounds ominous. But <laughs> no, no, no. They're just closing at the end of the month. Yes. And she asks what they're here for. No, no. Let me guess. Antiquing, right? You seem the type. Oh, yeah. And Dean kind of says, oh, how did you know? And then since they look just the type, um, Dean's kind of blinking. Sam stammers. And she offers them a room with a king-size bed. And... Dean quickly clarifies that they are brothers, but he does look really pressed about the fact that they look the type. Ah, Sam is the one to jump in and clarify that, no, 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 we're brothers, while Dean is kind of quiet in his corner there. Yeah, he's got kind of the social smile on, the one where you're like, I'm trying to figure things out. My face is frozen until I (laughs) have figured out what I'm saying next. Yeah, but Sam smooths it it over as much as he can. He's like, no, no, we're brother, just two singles. And then then Susan apologizes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean. But instead of letting the moment go, Dean says, what what did you mean we look the type? And this is, okay, B, you cannot. (laughs) You can't. Because there are so many ways on the page, just reading the lines on the page, there's so many ways this could be played. Yep. It's obviously meant to be comedic, but... And it is comedic. It's homophobic and comedic. But... Is it? Is it the is the way that Dean is reacting and playing it and acting it here, is that comedy? Okay. I feel like anyone who's just like, I got this on in the background and this happened, they'll get a chuckle out of it. 
And then people like stage four brain rot like us are going to be staring at that screen and like have it paused and then like be moving forward frame (laughs) by frame being like, what is he doing with his face? Why did he respond in this way? Like, oh my God. Why did he do it? But like, why, why did we play the dialogue like that? Where it's, the comedic, the, the, the comedic beat ended when Sam was like, oh no, 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 no. We're, we're brothers. Just two singles, Mm -hmm. please. And then Susan apologizes. And again, instead of moving on, Dean brings it back up with the way that he says it. So, yes. So what did what what did you mean we we look the type like why would you you don't you're not gonna get a you're not gonna get any sort of response that you're happy with out of that but no. the way that he says it is not like <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, look let, let let us the audience laugh at Dean for him being uncomfortable he does not look uncomfortable he looks distressed I mean oh my god I I was gonna get into this into the next scene but. Yeah, especially it's the same like thing, the next scene. It's the same oh, thing. Oh, I know, but the next one is the one I'm obsessed about. Let's do it. I just okay. cannot believe that we play. Like we oh, have no. these pe- three people, and even the musical cues are yeah. not playing along with the comedy of the situation. It- I mean, again. You're the one saying, like, is this comedic? And I'm with you there. Like, I I understand it's supposed to be comedic, but the layers that Jensen and his face is doing is not, not in step with that. No, absolutely. Okay, okay. Let's rush through this next bit, and then we'll yes. get to the scene. And then we'll talk. Okay, so... Susan gives them the key to room 237. Again, we've seen this number come up repeatedly already this show, season one, season two. Right, the shining. The shining number. Um, And Sherwin, he gets his phone rang, like basically the little bell gets rung so he comes to carry their bags. And he also says that they look like antiquers, so this is just further agitating Dean and as they are heading to the room Sherwin is lamenting about the fact that this place is closing and he says that guests just don't come here like they used to and in fact his parents both worked here and he's going to miss this place yeah so we knew they were closing but this is where we get the why the real why yeah and at the room door, Sherwin kind of guilts Dean into giving him a tip. Mm-hmm. So now that they are inside room 237, Dean is baffled by the decor, which includes an old wedding dress that appears to be pinned up on the wall. No frame, no shadow box, nothing. <laughs> he's, and... he's like, why would why would anyone want to stay here? I'm surprised they've stayed in business this long. Uh, like yeah. it, like there is not an entire community of people. They there there are plenty of people in the world that would sell their left nut to stay in a house with that kind of aesthetic. I mean, just for the novelty of it. Probably, yeah. I was more struck by how many like portraits there were all over the place. Like that feels 
very personal. Like, again, I've never stayed at a bed and breakfast or anything like that, so I do not know the vibes and how they jive with, say, this place. But I'm like, this This is somebody's house. This is someone's very big house, and I am paying to stay here. <laughs> I've never stayed at a bed and breakfast either, but it's selling that creepy Victorian so well. Yes. And Dean's like... <laughs> Why would anyone want to stay in a creepy Victorian? I'm like, I would, I would. Yeah, I'm like, especially for like a haunted tour or something like that. I think that could be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of those people. Um, Sam is going through the victim list. There was a Joan Edison who was 43 and a realtor who was handling the hotel's sale. And then Larry Williams, who we saw um, moving stuff out to Goodwill. Both... Um, Dean observes, we're working on shutting this place down. Um, So maybe this hoodoo was used by someone who wants to keep the place, someone like Sherwin, but Sam kind of wrinkles his nose and is like, "Uh, he doesn't seem like the type. Right, right. But they think that they, they think they have something to work off of, which is, well, it seems like whatever is happening here is because they don't want this the place to be sold they want to stay so mm-hmm. let's work with that yeah. but the most troubling question yeah all of that that's incidental okay dean is worried or like you said troubled by why susan and sherwin assume that they're gay yeah question is why do people assume we're gay well says sam you're kind of butch they probably think you're overcompensating. We all know the line. Yep. Yeah. And Dean's face in response. Like, again, that rictus kind of smirk, grin, whatever, and just that slow right and the way that the smile drops and he looks down. Like, that is not the response of a man secure in his identity. I just don't. Like, how did this, how did this go through production? Yeah. And someone wasn't like, that's not how that should have been played. Why did they, why did they do that? Yeah. If we're going for high comedy, is the comedy coming from Dean's insecurity? And the fact that Dean's insecurity is what you're taking the comedy from, like, doesn't that raise questions for you? What is Dean insecure about? This is just, this is just one of the things, and here is where I was like, the musical cue does not even support that this is supposed to be a comedic moment. We don't get a little zinger. We just go straight into this melancholy, like, uh, we're on the hunt music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you read the words, what's, what's, what's being said, it can be played it could have been played to be this comedic moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they didn't do that. No. They, they could have and they didn't. And I'm just like, let me, let, like, <laughs> can I read your diary? What is oh, going no. on? Because Jensen is doing other comedic things in the scene. Like, again, he's bitching about the decor. The way that he sits down on this bed and, like, sinks into yes. this old droopy mattress. Like, all of these things... Maybe not even show up on the page, but are beats that are being brought and like adding that kind of laughter to the scene. And then somehow they were like, 
Dean's response to being told that he's butch and overcompensating is to look like scared that he's been found out. Yes, he looks troubled. Yeah, that's not someone rolling their eyes and shrugging it off. That's someone that's like, oh, fuck, I need to reevaluate the way I am presenting myself to the world because the way I'm presenting is not the way I want to be read. His little laugh. Haha. <laughs> yeah. And looking down. And then you see you just, mm, the way the smile drops, the way the the eye ticks. The yeah. Oh my god, I can't. Oh my god. Yeah. Like like this coupled with that lobby scene where Sorry, why did you think that we were the type? Like, what type do you mean? Like, that whole obsession with the way that other people see him. Oh, it just, it's saying so much about Dean as a character. That's like, Jensen, were you in control of this or did Dean just grab the wheel? Did the spirit (laughs) of Dean possess you and make you do these things? Oh my god, I can't. Because even lot. the next scene, even the next scene, it feels like he's he's fighting hard to like get it back. He yeah. puts on that performer. He's putting the bullseye onto Sam. Yes. He's like, don't be looking at me. It's him. Yes. He's the one that you think is an antiquer. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. And it's overcompensating. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And again, if you're secure. Or at least you're confident in yourself. If you have self-esteem, the way that other people perceive you doesn't impact the way that you perceive yourself. Or, like, it doesn't do the dent that it is doing to Dean's personal armor. It is some... Like, you could see the way that Sam just kind of corrects and move on. Like, no, we're brothers. We'll need two singles. And he's not obsessing over it. He's not carrying it forward. Whereas Mm -hmm. Dean is, like... I need an answer to this because this is not a question that should be coming up. This is his whole day now. Yeah, exactly. This is like, I'm going to revisit (laughs) the very particular nuances in this persona that I've built and see what I'm doing wrong. Yes. Again, he's a performer. We've talked about it plenty of times before how Dean is good at putting on the face that other people expect that he's good at playing into the role. And so it's very interesting that in this moment, he's like, no, that's not a role I want to play. Why do you think that that's a role that I'm playing? Yes. Yes, because because when Susan says, oh, let me guess, you're antiquers. He's, Dean is the one to say, yeah, how do you know? Because mm-hmm. he is he is responding to the situation. He is the master of improv. He is responding. Mm-hmm. He is yes. He is yes and ing all the way down the line until he gets the thing that's like no. Yeah. No, I'm not playing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There is a hypothetical around his sexuality that he just cannot abide by, and then all of a sudden, it, he's not performing anymore he's frightened he's he's responsive to only that in a way that is starkly honest for someone that is a performer what what is this i didn't ask for this where did this come from what why why so much. what did the we have not this is 
a moment that you that the fandom is still calling to as just one of those there's no explaining this away moments like you point at this and it's like how do you explain this if not that and and up until this point like yeah we've we've poked some fun at like oh dean you seem a little flirty there when it comes to like his his sexuality or bisexuality or whatever but this is just like whoa like we got we just got real real quick and yeah man yeah and it just it makes me wonder it's like okay does the general audience watch this and genuinely just take the comedic haha and move on is this something that is visible to all audiences or is this something that you have to have kind of uh understanding of the queer read of Dean's character and being like the fact that he is so shaken by this is not just that someone is questioning his sexuality or interpreted his sexuality in a way that he didn't expect to be interpreted but it's that he was open to interpretation at all like he it feels like Dean thought that he has that door firmly closed. And why is it so important to him that he is not read as queer in this fashion? It's it's interesting because I think that we see little things here and there. We're reading, you know, you can argue we're reading too much into things at certain points, but this, if you ask the question, like, does the casual viewer see this and just, it doesn't, like, are we reading too much into it here in this moment? I'm like, I don't think we are. I think that the reason why this, this moment to me felt like a double take was because it was so in your face about it and it was like a script it it felt like mm-hmm. it was just writing on the wall right there for anyone to see and it was like there's subtext and there's and then there's text and this was a moment that felt like text and it was really surprising and it was almost like i I almost felt bad as an audience member, like seeing Dean so exposed because he, because it was almost like we were supposed to see him feeling vulnerable and exposed. That was how Mm -hmm. textual it was. And I was like, oh, I should look away from this. He doesn't want me saying this. Yeah, exactly. That, that firm exterior that he has has just crumbled. And all of a sudden, like the soft gooey inside is just, oh my god I've walked in on him in the bathroom I'm so sorry and like back away quickly like that level of privacy invasion it feels like yeah yeah and I got that feeling and I just think that this was we just took I don't know we just drew back the curtain in a way that was way more textual than Mm -hmm. we've seen in the past yeah it's harder to just look at this one go haha gay joke it's like, 
that's maybe what you were trying to do, but that's not what you did. Yes. Yeah, they just took it in a completely different direction. And I do wonder, was it the writing? Was it the director? Was it Jensen himself? Who did this? Yes, yes. And why? Yes. Show your work. I want (laughs) all the information about this group project. Oh, it's just a fascinating little beat. It is. I could just obsess over the way his face is in these two scenes for days. I just find it so crazy because we are shining a spotlight on something that wasn't even on the radar until this point. Not seriously on the radar. Like moments here or there, but nothing that you could really be like, squint and you miss it. Like, has been what has led us mostly to here. Yeah. And then it just... Or at least, like, taking those little beads of a moment, stringing them onto a thread and being like, okay, see how these things could be connected? And then this is like, I'm the clasp on that (laughs) necklace. Like, I'm holding this and all together. You cannot ignore me. I know. And we get... And we're just so early in the series that this is one of those moments that, I mean, I feel like we're still slotting into place pieces of our characters. Yeah. We're so early in the series. And this feels like one of the moments where we just, there's just puzzle pieces. And we found one that fits here. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Where did this come from? Yeah, where did that come from? I thought I was building a puzzle of a horse. Not a a flower bed. (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, it, like, it fits again. And then why does this fit so well? Oh, my God. Yeah, compelling. Fascinating. Yes. Oh, man, I just want to keep talking about it because... Oh, wait, were... no. I know. Be like, okay, and then... Blah, 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 and this is how the case ends at the end. Now, continuing on this facial moment. <laughs> but you you said compelling, and it's just like... Again, there was something about this that was almost, it's like pointing a finger. It says, look at me. No, don't, no, we're not moving on. We're not moving away. This is not like, we can't, we've passed the moment where we can just move over it. We're pointing a finger now, like, said, look at this. Look at this and get something from it. And what are you getting from it? Yeah. Like, Dean is upset and maybe terrified that he is not performing masculinity at the level that he thought he was that he's performing traditional masculinity in a way that is being misinterpreted mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. other people and if it if he's been trying so hard to be this typical example of masculinity and it's failing that seems to just shake him to the core yeah, because it, yeah, so much of himself is, we've talked about it so much, I feel like I'm just, uh, <laughs> but so much of himself is a, that carefully built up and that carefully maintained persona that he, he thinks that he's presenting as one way of the world. And when he's told otherwise, then you can start to see just how much of a house of cards it is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's. We see in this episode so many moments where it's like him reasserting this persona that he thinks protects him from this scrutiny. Like when he was 
giving over the credit card or like the alias that they gave wasn't a rock star ra- alias this time. Instead, it was Jack Mahogoff, aka Jack Mahogoff. <laughs> what? Yes, Mr. Mahogoff. Or Mahogoff yeah, is what Mahogoff. she said to him. And it's a masturbation reference for me, in case you didn't know. I did, I did not. I can't say I caught that. But, yeah, I, from this point forward, we do see him. Like I said, this this becomes his whole day. He's yeah. just going to reassert himself wherever he can. Yeah. He's, don't be looking at porn on the internet, Sammy, even though that's what the internet's for. And, like... It's Sam who plays with dolls, and again, you hear, like, the voice that I'm pairing with this instinct, like, this knee-jerk response to this persona, this identity, Uh all of a sudden, that Dean's running around with, like, a new pair of shoes. He just, you can tell that he feels shaken, and we can't let it go. Even later, we're carrying it through, and I'm like, why? Why did we decide to do this? Why did yeah. this become the focus of the episode? Yeah. The, and, and, and this episode is not about Dean. This episode no, is not, not even remotely about Dean. Ostensibly, it's about Sam and the guilt that he feels trying to move forward. Like, what his... Oh, my God. <laughs> and then here's Dean having a sexuality crisis. <laughs> and making it everybody's problem. I know. Which is very, very on brand for her. I just... I love this little gremlin. I know. I know. Oh, my heart goes out to him. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Just the way his smile drops. Okay. We have to. We have to. We have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotta move on. So, Sam and Dean go to check out the place. They are wandering the halls. And uh, there's a vase with another five spotter in it that Sam comments on. Mm-hmm. They knock on Susan's door and after an awkward moment, Dean asks about the antique dolls that she's packing up. He says that Sam has a major collection back home and it would totally make his day if she let them look at it. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it make your day? Come on. You, you, love, like, the, you love these things. It, oh. He he wouldn't tell he wouldn't tell you this, but he just loves to dress them up in their little dollies. And there's so many details he's throwing onto this. And Sam's just sitting there, like nodding his head, like, "Yep, nope, that's true." Like he's got no option but to go with what Dean is saying in this moment. It's like Dean again, you're choosing violence. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because you're scared that you're in a corner with your turtle shell off, turtle shell off, and that some predator is going to come and bite you for thinking you're an antiquer. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> Whatever he says, it's enough to persuade Susan to let them in. Um, there are tons of dolls, plus that dollhouse, the replica of the hotel. Um, including the twisted head doll representing Larry earlier. Um, Susan said Tyler probably did it. Or, no, I don't know if Susan says that. I think maybe Dean does. But Tyler arrives and she says that, no, I didn't hurt it. I found it like that. Um, she 
nor Maggie would have broken it since Grandma would be mad if they did. Yes, they prod into who this Grandma Rose is uh, and even ask to speak with her because they would just love to hear more about Grandma Rose's old dolls. But Susan shuts it down. She gets yeah. a little shifty-eyed, but then she just says, no, Grandma's not taking visitors. Yeah, Rose is sick and she's not taking visitors. She's upstairs in this hotel, but it's like a private wing that they can't go to. Mm-hmm. Dean without a jacket looks so naked. I know. When they're walking around just pretending like, oh, we're just looking at the place. And again, it's that vulnerability. It's those layers that have been shed and it's too close to personal. Like, And I do I think that they're being symbolic when they're doing that? Oh, probably not. They're just like, <laughs> it'd be weird if he's wearing a leather jacket while he's in here. But man, the, the layers it brings to the scene. He looks so naked. He's so small. He's been left out in the rain and he's this this soggy, wet little animal. And I'm like, no, you got to bring him inside and wrap him in a fluffy blanket because he's not wearing his jacket. And he's sad. And he's sad. (sighs) Sam and Dean think that, okay, the hoodoo plus the dolls is kind of a stronger connection to that theory since dolls are frequently used in rituals. Dean tells Sam to go scout the internet for old cases in the area while Dean himself digs up details on Rose. And again, here's where we get that don't be looking at porn, Sammy. That's not the kind of whacking I mean, Sam. It's too much. It is. Dean, I'm shaking my head at you. (laughs) In the next scene, we see Susan and a representative for the buyers of this place um, signing papers. I mean, it just feels like one of those (laughs) theaters. Go for it, go for it. It feels like one of those theater exercises where you take a monologue that's supposed to be like a tragedy or a comedy, and then you invert it and read it in a different way, and then it, it com- <laughs> completely changes the meaning of the scene. And like, how, how is she learning just now that they're going to demolish this place? No, not this one. I'm, talk- I'm talking about Dean still. I'm talking about Dean. I'm going back. Okay, I tried to drag us forward, but I'm going to allow you. I'm taking the break off this one. I'm lifting the anchor. I'm drifting back to the shores. Remy, where are we going? I can't. Just with just with Dean pointing at Sam about his doll collection, and then Dean picking at Sam. When he says the thing that's like, okay, you do research. You look to see if Grandma Rose has whacked any more people in her day. Like, we think that Grandma Rose is the one that's doing the hoodoo. So let's look into her and look into the history of the property. Blah, 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 blah. And then he says, and don't go looking at porn, Sammy. That's not the kind of whacking I mean. This could be comedy it could be said with a smile it could be said with a wink wink nudge nudge but dean sounds angry he is snapping at at sam like and don't go looking at porn like yeah who who said he was what are you talking about why are you mad who says that to their 23 year old sibling like it's just so it's so crazy it's just like you said he 
Dean's having a crisis and he's making it everyone else's problem. Yeah. He's like, if this is going to fill up my calendar, it's going to fill up yours too. Like, this is my whole day. Oh my god. Oh my god. The anger part. Like like you said, like he sounds retaliatory or something. Like, it's not played for laughs, even Mm -hmm. though it should be played for laughs. I know. None of this is, none of what we've seen in the past five minutes was played for laughs, even though all of it you feel was written to be played for laughs. Yeah. Oh my god. This episode, again, I'm like, this is one that I remember. And it's probably because of all of these little therapy moments that Dean could really benefit from. Oh! Okay. Go forward. Go forth. Okay. Susan signs the papers with the seller, what have you, guy, representative, finds out that, oh, they're not going to be renovating this place or anything. They are just going to straight up demolish this location. And that's all we get from her. We don't see any sort of response. (laughs) This place has been in the family for centuries. And she's like, anyways. Well, she puts her little, she puts her hands to her chest like, oh. Oh, and anyways, I don't... Yeah, then she walks away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We don't have to get into it. Um, We cut to Tyler, the little girl, playing tea time with her dolls. And inside the dollhouse, there is a doll that looks like the realtor, buyer, representative, whoever that guy was. And the next time that Tyler looks around and sees it, it is hanging from a noose and we cut to the buyer himself in an identical room in the hotel and he is hanging from an extension cord noose from the fan the ceiling fan in his room yes so this doll has again foretold the fate of the person it is dressed to look like yes and it's not a creepy haunted house unless you have a creepy little kid creepily humming ring around the rosy oh my god yeah while something ominous happens yeah we need some sort of acapella version of a child song yes it is nightfall and outside the corner is wheeling out the body Dean is out there talking to Susan about what happened and she admits that there's been a lot of bad luck here lately and she offers them a full refund but Dean just says that they don't scare that easily. They're going to stick around. Yes. Back in room 237, Dean asks Sam what he's uncovered but Sam is kind of slouchy in his chair and we discover quickly that he is drunk. We we get to experience Jared's questionable rendition of a drunk person. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're bossy and short. <laughs> Stupid, dumb. It's it's a sight. I think drunk is one of the hardest things to play. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I, don't know. I couldn't do a better B. I'm not like, okay. The thing is, is like me drunk 
would not at all be like the tone that they're trying to do there because when I get drunk, I just start winking a bunch. <laughs> Your cats. I I I just I find it so funny. I'm like winking. This is the funniest thing. So I just start winking at people, like grinning a bunch, and like it's the stupidest thing. And I know it's stupid, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> You're casting that was it season ten episode where yeah. he's human and gets drunk for the first time. Season nine, yeah. always yeah. one off. I think. Mm, yeah. I forget which episode exactly, but I know the one that you're talking about where he's like, I'm a hunter now with, and then it was good with April until she tried to stab me. Yeah. So hot. So hot. And it's like, why are you guys triangulating your desire in this fashion? <laughs> wink, wink. Wink. But yeah, I just walk around and I just wake up people. I'm like, this is so silly. Like, it's the dumbest thing. He is drunk. And he's acting his heart out. And Sam, for some reason, is saying that he couldn't save this guy, but he should have found a way. It's just an excuse, Dean. I should have found it. There had to have been a way. And I'm like, how the fuck? You didn't even know this guy was here, let alone dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Dean says, you couldn't have known. And... Sam says that's just an excuse. I could have, I should have saved him anyways. Yeah, I mean, was he like I should have had a vision about him? I get. Well, the the real issue here is that Sam feels that he has to save these people because the more people that he can save the more he can change change his destiny yeah which because he's already he's already bad he's already you know people are already dying around him and i'm like well you don't exactly have the most you don't want people to die you shouldn't go chasing deaths that's literally your job that's yeah. what you do i like you don't work at a grocery store sam uh-huh like you don't work at a place that comes with safety and like an understanding that you're not going to be meeting people at the most fraught moments of their lives like that that's your job so you can't be like people dying around me is my fault and I have the weight of the world on my shoulders and like it just I don't know it didn't a hundred percent jive for me when thinking of last week's episode as well because last week was very Sam being like I need to do this alone and it's about me like it's very like focused on himself. And Dean was almost the one that was like, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe that things are happening. And Sam didn't really feed into any which way, I don't think. Like, he was just saying to Dean, hey, this is what you're good at. This is kind of what you were born to do. So I guess... Well, I think our, that our, Sam has been in the past the the one to i don't know if buy into is right but the one to speak to curses and fate and destiny and yeah. 
he has always been the one to uh say well, like these he... are the things well these are the things this th- is my lot in life. Ha- yeah yes exactly this is my lot in life um and he even when talking about the special children when it came to Andy he was saying i don't know maybe this is this is what it means for us these special children this is the way it has to be this is the way it's going to go um we're all going to go bad and that's just the way that it's going to be and dean of course is the one that has always uh, denying that and saying i don't believe in the destiny crap uh you're not fated for anything we've forged our own path but uh i think that canonically sam has definitely fallen the other way on it so yeah that's fair that's now fair. he is despairing in it because he thinks that that destiny is to is is set in stone and that he's gonna go he's gonna go bad yeah i don't know it just it felt strange to me that basically john's final words are being parroted by sam in this scene like he's forcing dean into a promise the same way that john essentially cornered him into a promise as well yeah like they're mirroring each other and yet after yes and like yesterday's episode (laughs) last week's episode was essentially being like no i'm rallying against this like i'm i'm fighting this screw this i don't know i'm it feels strange to have the beginning of this episode being sam seeming so well adjusted and then the next thing we see is sam drunk off his ass Mm -hmm. i didn't feel what triggered it for him like we're being told that what triggered this moment is this guy's death but i'm like you didn't interact you didn't i didn't get anything that tells me you would have an emotional connection to this guy dying that would set you off in this way and the absence of that is what makes me all of a sudden question these other things Mm -hmm. yeah we had a a brief moment where while Dean was down with Susan as the coroner is leaving with the body, uh, we see Sam up in the window and he is seeing the ambulance pull away and he looks very distressed. And then the next that we see him, uh, he's already drunk. But, But we went from... You know, I I don't want to sit around and let other people die. We need to save as many people as we can. And then Dean saying, "Well, that's that's positive. That's that seems like a healthy response to the situation. We're not going to sit and spin our wheels on the Ava situation. We're going to go out and work." Uh, and now Sam is saying, no, I have to do this. I have to save people because it's the only way that I can change my destiny. I have to do more good in life than I'm going to do bad, I suppose. But I just totally agree that it doesn't fit with what we were seeing from 
Sam last episode, which was this determination to figure out what the plan is and what the destiny is and and what's going on with the yellow-eyed demon and the special children. I, I wouldn't say that we, in the last episode, we were there yet on rallying against the destiny but he was more like i just i i'm trying to figure out who i am and what this means for me yeah. uh so that's what he was chasing down last episode but then at the end of the episode he's like i can't just sit back and let things happen i have to go i'm going to go out and face this head on and dean i hope you're going to be with me on that yeah and here, all of a sudden, he's, like, despairing in this, like, self-flagellation of, I'm just, I'm going to go bad. I'm cursed. I, you have to watch out for me, Dean. No, don't, I don't mean protect me. I mean, watch out for me. Make sure that I don't go bad. And if I do, then you have to promise me that you'll kill me. Only you can do it. Dad was right. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah, if I ever turn into something I'm not, and Dad said you had to, so you have to. Like, this whole Dad said so was really interesting to me. It's a lot. And again, it just feels like it's not, it feels like it's coming out of left field, but. It's all the buttons that would need to get pushed to make Dean do what Sam wants. Even though Dean absolutely does not want to. Yes. Yeah. Like, Dean's actually speaking out against John in a way we very rarely see in these early episodes. He says, Dad's an ass. He never should have said anything. You don't do that. You don't lay that crap on your kids. And then Sam's the one going, no, he was right to say it. Who knows what I might become. Even now, everyone around me dies. Like... Sam's justifying and siding with John in this moment, which frankly sucks yes. because of the way that Sam responded last episode. Like Sam becoming this embodiment of his father and yelling at Dean, like, you should have told me sooner. How could you walk around knowing this crap and not tell me? Like, very self-righteous anger that is very reminiscent of John and then in the next breath being like I'm using John's memory I'm invoking him and telling you that he's right and it still feels baseless where he's like no John was right you have to watch out for me if I turn into something I'm not then you have to kill me because who knows what I'll become everyone around me dies and I'm like you don't you don't know anything. Just, just let's just lay yeah. down and take a little nap. You'll feel better in the morning cuz what are you where is this coming from? Yeah, it's that whole don't believe anything that your brain says after like 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> I just, all that shit has not been peer reviewed. You need to talk about it with someone during business hours. Especially when Sam was like, "Who knows what I'll become?" I'm like, "You don't." Yeah. Dean yeah. doesn't. John certainly doesn't. What? Where are you getting this from? Yeah, baseless, I think, is the right word for this. Because I was trying to talk about this whole fate thing. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not even what I was meaning. It's the fact that it doesn't feel 
grounded in any of Sam's actions so far, this fear. It's more just that he's seeing patterns that aren't visible to me or maybe visible to any other person. It's just the way that he is sort of predetermined to assume the worst and assume that, you know, all the bad shit that's happened in his life is because of him. And including, you know, random banker number five that he never met before. And it's just casting a net too far. It's taking on too much blame. It's holding too much weight on himself. Of course he's going to collapse underneath it. I just feel like through season two, we're we're building up to this like self-fulfilling prophecy kind of mm-hmm. arc. Where Sam has decided that it, the the fate of the special children is to become killers and soldiers, and he's buying into this predetermination that it is 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 what on the word of a demon, like yeah, we he he has again a sample size of five with a total of one killer, when oh two I suppose, when it comes to these special children. And he's like, no, we're all going to go bad. I'm like, do you think Ava was going to go bad? I thought thought you liked her. What's going on? Yeah. Like, I know it's a self-reflection. You know, it's the way that Sam sees himself. But bringing up Ava is a great point because it's like, no, like what you are saying applies to her too. And uh, do you think that it is still valid when you put her face in juxtaposition with yours? Like... Because if you don't think it applies to her, then, okay, it is a you problem, buddy. Yeah. Like, you you are choosing to flagellate yourself in this manner. Right. Yeah, and that's what it feels like. And I don't love it. Because it just... It's just too much on too little. Yeah, it's baseless. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm loving that word. <laughs> I'm going to say it 80 more times. Good. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sam is pleading with Dean, no, I need you to promise me. Promise me that you will kill me. You're the only one who will do it. And Dean, Dean here is like, Sam, stop it. Don't ask me that. You can't ask me that. No, just lay down. Stop it, Sam. He does not want to. I'm not going to do that, he says. Even with Sam, like, pawing at his face, Mm-hmm. And, like, forcing him, being like, you have to promise. And I feel like the only reason Dean relents at all is because, first of all, it's going to make Sam stop being so <laughs> difficult to wrestle into bed and be like, okay, sleep this off. But more than that, if Sam is as drunk as he seems, then Dean figures, okay, I can make this promise and I won't be held to it because he won't remember. Right, it's the very first thing he says to Sam the next morning. Yep. Yep. He's just placating, not promising. Yes. But he does say the words, I promise. He just doesn't expect to have to cash that check. Yeah. Yeah. And with Sam finally passed out in bed, kind of face down, not at all recovery position. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dean is sitting there looking drained himself. Yeah. Well, 
So with that in mind, Dean heads off for the lobby and he ends up finding Sherwin behind the bar in the next room. And Sherman offers him a drink and they both kind of talk about the history of this place. You know, this lawyer, banker, dude, whatever just died. It seems like this place is cursed. And Sherwin says, sure enough, you know, a place... This old, there's bound to be blood spilled here. Talk about aesthetic. This is an aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Sharon, Dean, alone, the hotel bar, very The Shining. Yeah, 100% borrowed. And very classic still. Yes. But Dean uh, prompts Sherwin. Uh, yeah, you've worked here a long time, huh? I bet you know a lot about the history of this place. Do you have any stories? And Sherwin teases, oh, you you should know better. You never ask an old man for stories. Yes. Sherwin's very excited to share <laughs> the history that he knows. And they go on a portraits tour. They are looking at all these family photos that are on the walls and on these mantelpieces. And Sherwin points out one of Rose and Susan when she was younger. And is, again, mournful about the fact that they're moving. He even says, would you be happy leaving the only home you ever knew? And Dean responds, don't know, never really had one. And, oh boy, my heart. Oh boy. You just... The casual dropping. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the casualness that gets me. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't even seem like it stings for Dean because it's unfathomable. He just can't compute. He just wants to not have a microwave burrito. Oh my god. Okay. Don't know. Never had a home. Well. No. Sherwin seems to think that Rose is better off uh, here at the hotel at home instead of rotting away in some senior living facility. Yeah. Yeah. If Rose is going to spend the rest of her life in a nursing home, then this is the better alternative. Um, But they do pass another photo of Rose. Um, She is sitting in a chair with her nanny, Marie, who Dean recognizes as having a five-point mark hanging on the uniform. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like one little moment that we have here. So we have seen a few times through this episode Tyler and Maggie together and we we always see both girls but as we know and as we learn well the the characters in the show don't know yet but as we the audience know Maggie is actually Tyler's imaginary friend aka a spirit that Mm -hmm. is uh, maliciously haunting uh, Tyler's family and the and the home Yes. And, uh, and they have done, I mean, they've been clever about how they've done the scenes where we, the audience always sees both girls together. Um, and it seems like the, 
the people the other people in the scene are reacting to both girls but really it's just tyler which is the big reveal a little later in the episode yes they're doing a very sixth sense thing here where if sam is kind of getting bowled over by the girls running by if we're paying attention it's only tyler that he is responding to and maggie moves past him unperturbed yes yeah things like that yeah exactly and i bring this up because we have another little uh, red herring almost right yeah red herring moment uh, clever little directing moment where dean points at one of the portraits on this uh table hallway table and says who's this and uh at the forefront of the table it is a young girl younger than either tyler or maggie Uh, but this young girl with blonde ringlets and uh it's a pair of photos well yeah it's a pair of photos of the same girl so there's well okay here's my thing i think that they were twins no um anyways anyways maybe (laughs) i didn't get that but there there was this little bifold picture frame that had two photos of uh a a young girl uh, that had the blonde ringlets and dean seems to be pointing to this photo and says who's this and but sherwin picks up actually picks up and starts talking about the photo that is behind the bifold picture frame of the blonde girl and the picture behind that photo and then what we talk about instead is uh, this photo of rose who looks about 11 older and uh her nurse or not nurse her nanny marie Mm-hmm. who is the woman that had did you did we mention this yet the woman with the uh five point necklace yeah, yeah. but we, we're looking at all these portraits and we're seeing who we later learn is maggie so we're seeing hints of maggie's presence uh as a spirit in the house or as as, as someone who has passed and is now a spirit in the house and it's but we're overlooking them and we only can point them out once we know the big reveal later on so are you saying the picture with marie in it also had maggie or no i'm just saying that it was just this little moment where dean is pointing at it seems like he's pointing at maggie's picture and says and who's Mm. this but sherwin instead picks up the photo it's like he doesn't if he had picked up if he had picked up maggie's photo then we you know we could have cut out 20 minutes of the episode yeah (laughs) oh this is maggie oh like susan's daughter maggie oh no susan doesn't have a daughter maggie oh okay (laughs) yes but instead he instead sherwin picks up the photo behind maggie's portrait which is that um which is that portrait instead of a young rose and her nanny uh but it's just one of those moments where it's like you said a red herring Mm -hmm. they're purposely misdirecting us yes a misdirection Mm -hmm. 
And that was like five minutes to say that it, I thought it was I thought it was a clever little uh, gotcha. Were you paying attention? Moment. Yeah, yeah. There's like you say the way that the characters other than Tyler interact with Maggie. Um, it has a different meaning on a second rewatch. Yes. Now it's morning and Sam is deeply hungover and Dean is gleeful about this fact. (laughs) Sam is kneeling in the bathroom over the toilet. Worshipping the porcelain gods. He can still smell the tequila Mm -hmm. or taste the tequila. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Dean, as you mentioned, checks that Sam doesn't remember anything about last night and, you know, kind of does a... Mentally. Yeah, and he's he's not even looking at Sam. He's facing away and, and is so we can see him and see that he's testing the waters here when he's like, ha, ha, yeah, man, you were so drunk last night. I bet you don't even remember anything. Mm-hmm. And we see in his face, oh god, I hope you don't remember anything. Yeah. Oh god, oh god, oh god. Yeah. Which Sam seems to confirm to say, oh, no, I can still taste the tequila. Yeah, Sam doesn't really answer. He just changes subjects. Uh And again, talk about misdirection. Dean reads into that what he wants. Right. And then Dean also tells Sam about the Creole nanny that Rose had when when she was younger. And Sam agrees that it is time that they go talk to Rose. Yes. So maybe this nanny had taught Rose some hoodoo in her day. Mm-hmm. So after Sam has had a chance to recover, they head over to Susan's door, marked private again. They knock, and when there's no answer, they take the opportunity to pick the lock and head inside. Yes. Um, Within the room, there is a private staircase, and so when they head upstairs, um, they end up finding a small room with Rose, who is watching the rainfall on the window. And when Sam says her name, she doesn't respond, and Sam realizes that she's actually had a stroke and is not physically able to perform hoodoo in the way that they've been predicting. Right. Hoodoo is too hands-on for Rose in her condition. There are rituals and chants and ingredients to to combine and collect. And that's just very obviously beyond Rose at this point. So is it even hoodoo? What, are we back at square one? Yeah, they postulate maybe she's faking it. And Dean, for a gross moment, seems like he is willing, you know, poker with a stick that Sam sort of incredulously suggests. And then Sam's like, no, we are not doing that. Yeah. And it's at this moment that Susan arrives and she's irate that they've come up here against her wishes and scared Rose. And she threatens them, gives them about two seconds to get off her property before she calls the cops. Yeah, you are no longer a guest. Yeah, so in a 12-hour span, she goes from full refund to full get the fuck out. (laughs) Well, they did go into private areas. Absolutely. 
So we see them driving away and we return inside where Tyler and Maggie are playing jacks. And um, Tyler tells Susan that they're not allowed to move. Maggie says so. But Susan just sighs and says that Tyler is too old for imaginary friends. And we see Maggie say that she doesn't like Susan. And it's a very dun-dun-dun reveal of Maggie as more than what she seems. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler's too old for imaginary friends and Susan's not going to pretend with her anymore. Yeah. And for the first time, we see Tyler alone where we know Maggie is, you know, from from Tyler's perspective, she can see Maggie, but from the outsider's perspective, uh, Tyler is playing Jax alone, not with yes. Maggie. Yeah. Um, next, we have Susan loading boxes into the trunk of her car, and she thanks Sherwin as he drives away. Inside, Tyler is playing with the dollhouse, and we see the swing set on that miniature begin moving on its own. Mm-hmm. While outside, Susan is bundling up against an ominous wind and sees the swing set likewise moving on its own, followed by the teeter-totter, and then the merry-go-round. And all of these things are moving the same way on the dollhouse, and it is starting to freak Su- Susan out. Yeah, what could have been the, a single swing swinging in the breeze has turned into both swings swinging counterpoint to each other, not the wind. Then yeah. the seesaw, then the merry-go-round, and it's all very, it becomes unnatural very quick. Yeah. She doesn't realize that her car has started up on its own behind her. Um, she begins backing away from this playground, but then the car begins gunning at her. Um, and it's a good thing Sam rushes in and pushes her out of the way. Full-on quarterback tackles her, more like, but it does the it does the job. Yeah, yeah. She's alive, and that's the important part. Mm-hmm. So Sam and Dean bring her indoors and give her a stiff drink and... She is demanding the truth, so they're like, sorry, we don't have time to sugarcoat this, and they just give it to her straight. They say that it's a spirit, and they need to know when Rose had the stroke. And it turns out that that was about a month ago, before the killings began, so they believe that her hoodoo was being used to protect people from the spirit, and then after her stroke, she wasn't able to do that anymore. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Dean says, at first we thought it was a hoodoo curse, but that out there was definitely a spirit. And then that's when they ask when uh, Rose's stroke occurred. And when Susan confirms that it was about a month ago, right when the death started, I just like this little moment where Sam turns to Dean and is like, you see? Like, yeah. like there were some conversations that they've been having outside of the audience perspective that are the audience point of view where Sam and Dean have been, uh, you know, still discussing 
theories and planning out their next move. But here, Sam says, you see, no, it's, uh, I think that it was Rose who was doing the hoodoo, but it was for protection against evil, not Mm -hmm. conjuring the evil herself. And now that Rose has had the stroke, she's no longer capable of warding off the evil. So it is, so the spirit has free reign. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that there's this silent communication that takes place in this moment that speaks to the history that Sam and Dean have with each other. Um, But they are very adamant that Susan and her family need to get out of here. Everyone, the people who work here, even Tyler and Maggie. And it's in this moment that they are told by Susan that she only has one daughter and that Maggie is Tyler's imaginary friend. Yeah, because Sam and Dean have heard Susan and Tyler talking about Maggie, but uh, but turns out it's not, you know, not Tyler's sister, but Tyler's imaginary friend. And okay, now we see what's going on here. <laughs> Yeah, this is a very different expectation that they have. Yeah. Okay, imaginary friend. All right, tell me more. Yeah, wait a second. This is adding up. So um, we cut to Rose up in her room, and she is being confronted by Maggie, who says that Rose can no longer stop her from keeping Tyler. Um, Tyler tries ushering her away, but Maggie just throws a final taunt to Rose as she leaves, being like, oh yes, we're going to be playing, you know, tea parties and jump rope forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And it's, it's very, oh no, this poor kid has something bad coming to her. Right, right. Because Maggie is saying to Rose that Tyler is going to stay there with Maggie and there's nothing that Rose can do to stop it. Yeah. Sam and Dean and Susan are searching everywhere for Tyler. They're quite frantic in Susan's room. They see that Rose's doll collection is shattered on the floor. And when they ask Susan about Maggie, you know, is there anyone that she could have been, you know, did she arrive after Rose got sick? Well, yes. And hey, I just remember that um, Rose had a sister named Margaret who ended up drowning in the pool as a child. So Sam and Dean rush out and we have this shot of a Maggie doll watching them as they go. Mm-hmm. So they running, they are running towards the pool Um, And we see that Maggie and Tyler are indeed hanging off the balcony above the pool, which is currently covered in plastic. And Maggie is telling Tyler to jump, but Tyler is insisting she can't swim. And Maggie's like, good. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't say that, but you could say like, yes, yes, that is the part of the plan that I'm counting on. (laughs) Well, it seems like Tyler... Eh, is in the know if she understands i'm not sure but she but but maggie is straight up saying like you jump it won't hurt i promise and then you'll be here with me forever and tyler says well why can't you just come with us 
because Maggie can't leave, but Tyler can. And Tyler is not going to leave her, right? She can't leave her all alone. So this is the only way. Yeah, Maggie doesn't want to be alone, she says. Right. And so this is the closest that they're going to come to, you know, rectifying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sam and Dean arrive outside the balcony door. They're banging on the glass. It's not breaking. And Tyler turns around. She sees her mother. She's like... Mommy, I don't want to, you know, the Mm -hmm, typical mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sort of last moment of fright before Maggie pushes Tyler off the balcony down into the pool. Mm -hmm. Um, Dean and Susan go after another entryway while Sam dumps out a planter and uses it to start smashing in the glass. Maggie holds Tyler underwater until a voice begins calling for Margaret, and at that point she vanishes. Yeah. At around the same time that Sam manages to break through the glass door and is able to dive in over the balcony to into the pool himself. And swim to Tyler and uh, bring her up to the surface. Sam gets his slow-mo water rescue. Yes, yes. This is very episode three, season one, with Dean rescuing the little kid. Now it's Sam's turn. Mm-hmm. And Sam needs it, right? Because he needs to, he needs to, I don't know, what, think that he's good? Do things to prove that he's good? I mean, he's told us with, like, some degree of frenetic energy that he's got to get out there and rescue as many people as possible. Like, it's the only way to atone for what he's going to be. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. his fate, this is the only way that he can counterbalance it. So he pulls out Tyler and Susan and Dean manage to break in, too. Um, Susan's very distraught because... Tyler's laying there beside the pool, um, not breathing, but then suddenly she spits and coughs and she is alive and she says that Maggie is gone. There, there's this awful, like, five seconds where Sam brings Maggie, brings Tyler out of the pool, sets her down at the edge, and then... Susan, Dean, and Sam are all just looking at this prone child. Yes. Does anyone know CPR? Is anyone going to do anything? Hello? They're too big. They would crush her. Oh, God. Like, it'd be two hands around a gnat. Just crunch. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I'm sorry, but six foot five and she's like maybe three feet tall, like. She's a hobbit. But you do. No, I agree. I agree. I'm just like, this is, they're like, we have a child actor here and we cannot damage her. (laughs) Okay. Actually, that's fair. Okay. We're not going to, we're not going to start thumping on the chest of a child actor. Yes. She's, because she's going to collapse like a tissue (laughs) during cold flu season. Okay. She's gone. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it's okay. She's fine. She- yes, yes. It's all good. <laughs> um, back in Rose's room, Rose and Maggie confront each other, and we can't hear Rose speaking, but Maggie does understand her. Um, and we basically find out that Rose has offered to stay in Tyler's place so long as Margaret leaves the rest of the family. You know, everyone but Rose alone. And Margaret is saying that she doesn't understand why now, why after Rose has spent basically a lifetime keeping her at bay, she thought Rose didn't love her anymore. And we don't get to hear the answer, but it must be sufficient because when Susan and Tyler go upstairs to retrieve Grandma, um, Rose is already dead. I loved this because you it just speaks to a whole history yes to rose where you know when rose was a young girl she was probably in tyler's place here yeah with maggie yeah where rose was maggie's companion until some point where uh, Marie, Maggie's uh, Rose's nurse, the the woman who taught Rose the 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 warding spells, the hoodoo, uh, worked with 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 Rose to ward away Maggie. And like I said, it just speaks to this whole history that uh, Rose was the young girl that was being haunted uh, previously. Mm-hmm. And what sort of maliciousness was coming out of Maggie 50 years ago that ultimately necessitated this, like, permanent warding away. Yeah, like, we don't hear Rose's actor speak a single word, and yet, like you say, there is so much implied history that Mm -hmm. is really interesting, and honestly, really effectively done. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, with Rose and Maggie seemingly having come to their fate, um, we have... The coroner's arriving outdoors again. Yeah. And Sam and Dean talk to Susan. Sounds like Rose had another stroke, but, you know, admittedly, Margaret could have been behind it. And Sam apologizes to Susan, but she just says that they've given her everything. And now that Tyler's ready to go, um, she assures Dean that Maggie is gone now. And... Susan gives a parting hug to Sam before the two of them climb in a taxi and leave. I I know they we're just wrapping up the episode. It does not matter. Literally doesn't not matter. <laughs> but I hated that Dean to Tyler was like, "Are you sure she's gone?" "Oh yeah, she's gone. I'd see her if she was still here." And I'm like, "Hello." This is your fucking job. This is your fucking job. Oh, I guess it's over now. What does Dean say? He's like, I, I, I guess, I guess whatever was going on here, it's, it's, it's done with now. I'm like, you guess, you think, huh? That's why would you think that? Do? He's like, she literally within the last two hours killed another person. 
Yeah, like three people in three weeks, and then like one voluntary person in the last three hours. Like, you don't even know. You don't even know that Rose like struck a deal with Maggie, and it, Maggie just killed her. Either way, yeah. no matter how you slice it, Maggie did kill her. And oh no, it could have been another stroke, Remy. Now she's still there. <laughs> With Maggie, also as a restless spirit. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sorry, with Rose, also as a restless spirit. I mean, they're tearing this place down, though, so who even cares? Like, haunt that fictitious third floor. Do whatever you want. Well, we've got the, uh, we we cut to it twice, that, that doll that was one of those, like, Victorian-era dolls that mm-hmm. was made as a model of the child herself, hair and all. So, like, mm-hmm. right there on the shelf, on the wall, is the doll of Maggie, but the boys are apparently not interested in it. So where was she buried again? Or... Yeah, no. We're not putting away this restless spirit. Oh, God. No. No, they're no. just going to Fuck stay. this place, basically. <laughs> This place is homophobic. I'm leaving. <laughs> like, okay. I know that we're like, okay, this is how they end with the two young girl spirits hanging out inside the hotel with all the photos in the hall and stuff. Yes. Which I'm like, Susan, you did not do a great job cleaning out your personal belongings. I'm just going to say that. But <laughs> if we ignore that, if we go back the one scene... When Tyler and Susan drive off in the taxi, Dean immediately begins joking that Sam could have had a MILF if he just wanted to. And, like, again, it goes to Dean making this everybody's problem today. Because it's like, why didn't you fuck her, Sam? Why didn't you fuck her? I told you not to look at porn on the internet, but why didn't you fuck her? And by the way, I let you rescue that little girl. I let you. I could have done it, but you needed it more than me. Like it's, it's like it deranged. sounds like it sounds like you're joking, but you're not. I'm not. You're not. That is it's deranged. That's how the scene went, y'all. It's insane. He's like, so why don't you fuck her? <laughs> Anyways, doesn't it feel good to be on a case again, right? <laughs> she wouldn't think we were auctioneers if you fucked her. Auctioneers. Oh God, she would. <laughs> I'll have a one dollar, two dollar, three dollars. Oh God, don't look at me. I'm gonna find you the auctioneer from Letter Kenny. <laughs> Since the show's already unfathomable to you, I'll, I'll give you Dick Foreskin and antiquers. She wouldn't think we're antiquers if only you have gotten that milf action, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Why can't you protect my heterosexually and go fuck that nerd? <laughs> God. Anyways. 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 And I, yeah, I, I could, I could have saved, saved those people, but you know, I had to let you, you get one. Yeah, you needed you it. Needed you it. needed it. Jeez, Louise. I know. And then again, doesn't it feel good to be on a case again? And Sam agrees, but it doesn't change what we talked about last night, Dean. And then Dean, you can see, is trying to brush him off. But Sam is like, no, Dean, you were sober when you made that promise. Oh, my God. Which is horrible. And then Dean looks really upset that he's being held to it. 
Which is, it's all just fucking words. I don't care what Sam says. <laughs> I'm like, Sam, you were drunk. That's what makes the promise null and void. I'm like, it's the true false dichotomy where if you start with a false premise, then anything that comes after it is true. Yeah. You've started with a false promise. So, like, you were drunk. Literally anything Dean said, he he's not in the wrong. <laughs> like, you can't. Yes. You can't. You can't. It's bad. Yeah. And and the whole thing is like, Sam, what has now, what did he get out of that? Does he feel reassured? Because all I see is that he made Dean feel like shit. Yeah. He has replaced the role his father had voluntarily taken. Yeah. And now put it onto his involuntary brother. Like, good on you? I just don't know. The thing that gets me so, oh, the thing that gets me so is when Sam is like, Sam in his drunken state is, like you said, pushing every button. It's what dad said and and dad made you promise and you got to listen to what dad said. Mm -hmm. But even more so when he says... You're the only one who can do it, Dean. You've got it. You've got to promise. You got to be the one to do it. I'm like, I would slap him straight across the mouth. Ugh. I'm like, Sam, last episode, you dead ass had someone volunteering to do this for you. <laughs> like, if you ever need it done, you know where to go. <laughs> Just that, just that Sam is saying, you gotta watch out for me. Yeah. Dad was right. You gotta listen to dad. And then I need, I need you, Dean, to do this for me. I, I, this is how you are going to watch out for me. This is how you're going to fulfill your big brother promise. Yeah. You're gonna kill me. Yeah, you're when going I, to do the last I, thing in the world you want to do. I know. And it's just atrocious. It It's speaking to how distraught Sam is about this. And again, I know I'm like this young whippersnapper, but he is so young and he's just very self-centered and he doesn't realize how much his brother has sacrificed for him because he hasn't had to realize Dean's made very damn well sure that Sam never knows how much he's sacrificed on behalf of Sam. Mm -hmm. And here is Sam just asking for another mile, thinking that it's an inch. Yes. Oh my god, yes. And I don't even know, I don't even know how much of this we revisit or follow up on through the end of season two. I mean... Yeah. Because I don't think that there's any moment through season two that Sam is like, oh no, it's happening to me. Dean, you promised. Do it now. I know. Is it mostly, I think, when, you know, the Hunger Games special child edition starts up near the end of the season? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I just feel like. Not to get too far ahead of it, but for all of the destiny and the death and like gonna go bad and the hand uh, wringing, there, there's something evil within us 
that we are harping on so far, they don't deliver with it when it just turns out to be the special children's hunger game. That's more a commentary on the human condition than it is the fact that they, what, have demon blood. Yeah. And, like, if it is something that Dean would have to follow up on, it feels more like season four when, Mm -hmm. you know, he is doing a chug a blug of blood. Like, he's just... Yes, yeah. Off the deep end. Like, that feels like when you would want to be harping on these things, but... For season two, we're doing a lot of foreshadowing to events that we don't know yet how they'll play out. We're being told that there is more to the story than we are aware of so far. And, you know, we have to hold it in faith that it's going to pay off. Yeah. And then we fail to even call back to it or or capitalize on it, revisit when we do come to season four, season five. Well, that's the story of Supernatural, baby. Look at all of these cool, shiny balls. And then, oop, we drop them. Oop, we drop them. Oop, I threw that one through a window. Oh, well. <laughs> so, so then I think that one of the reasons why I'm giving this episode a little bit of a stink eye when it comes to the brotherly conflict is because I know, by virtue of this being a rewatch, that nothing really comes of it. So it just feels like unnecessary torture. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. put, let's put those boys in some situations. I mean, yeah. Again, I I understand that each episode is its own thing. And we're not expecting consistency across episodes. But I can't help looking at, you know, we had Croatoan. Dean, leave me. I'm, like, literally, I'm going to become a monster. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. And then Dean being like, no, I'm staying here. We're going out of this together. And then the next episode being like, fuck you, Dean. You didn't tell me that I was going to be a monster. I'm out of here. And then, wait, Dean, I need your help. Come back. And then this episode being like, Dean, I'm going to be a monster. I need you to kill me. And I'm like, just a little, just a smidge of consistency. Just... Just a spoonful of sugar. <laughs> I would accept gratefully. Like, I know last episode I was harping on, like, I don't want to be spoon fed, but I'm like, spoon feed me a little bit of this. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just this weird combination of main character syndrome and the tell no show where we're being told in the script that this is the Sam episode and it's about Sam and Sam's the main character, but we don't feel it because we haven't grown with it. There's nothing. Yeah. yeah, Because there's just nothing. I don't think that any of that made sense, but (laughs) no, we, we don't get those moments that make us connect with what the characters are feeling. Right. We have the shadow of a moment, but I don't know. I'm like, do I need to watch it eight more times to really vibe with it? Or is it just not there? I just think it's it's a disservice to 
Sam's character to be just writing him into these corners where he is life or death. The script is demanding that his problems are elevated to this to be this big the biggest thing, right? Or it's existential, yeah. Right. Ex- yes, yes. I, I didn't know how to say the biggest thing, but I, I don't mean like big was the wrong word, more like overarching. Yeah. And I'm not feeling it as this big overarching mystery. I just feel like he's being louder than everyone else on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Telling us that his problems are bigger than anyone else's. Yes. Yes. And we're not seeing the emotional, personal, mental impact necessarily. Yeah. It's just we start the episode and Sam's like, I'm fine. I know we've been working on this for a month, but I am adjusted healthily. And then the next we see is, bam, he is drunk and calling his brother stupid and telling him to murder him. Yes. Yeah. It's odd. It's a lot. It's a lot. But that was the whole episode. That was Playthings. That was Playthings. Remy? Yes? Do you go first or me? (laughs) I mean, I think we might have the same takeaway, maybe. I have an inkling. I mean, what was that? (laughs) What was that about? What What was was it about? What was that even? My biggest thing, my actual takeaway on this was yes that moment with dean where we just see him crumble under the stress of that feeling exposed in that moment yes but what i got from it was that if i was watching supernatural and and i am what 35 episodes in to the series we are still like i said building up these characters i see this episode and i come out of it like oh so dean's gay now that's yeah. that's new <laughs> yeah yeah you're like there that moment of the crisis that he's experiencing at being called an antiquer and like remy I didn't even tell you about how the companion novel is like so proud of itself for coming up with Antiquer. Oh my god. Really? Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Like again, they're not they're like, tell me you're homophobic without telling me you're homophobic. <laughs> but like they the way that Dean just collapses beneath the weight of this innocuous impression you know you're never gonna see this lady again who cares but like you care you care so deeply you care so deeply about everything and especially when it is threatening your self-identity particularly the part of your identity that is like I can perform. I can put on the face that is expected of me. I can be who people need me to be. And you just, again, you're getting that vibe that Dean has this persona that 
is maybe protecting him. And when an observation, like you're, you seem like the type mm-hmm. hits him, it's, it's an instant KO. Like it's a needle through his armor, hitting him exactly at a pressure point. And it's just so, it was, it was played so obvious. It was right there for everyone to see. And that's where I, that's where I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of the first time viewer. And I am like, oh, I didn't know this was an aspect of, this was an aspect of Dean's character, but now I do. He's, he's queer and hiding it. And it's not, it's, I I was being flippant when I was like, oh, that's new. But it's more like, oh, this is something that I can now, like, I feel like they were telling us something there. Or I, I feel like I, if I was the first time viewer, I would have come out of the episode feeling like they were telling us something there because honestly, that's what it felt like. Like, yeah. I, not like you're reading too much into it, but like they, like, like the script was trying to tell you something. And so you come out of it like, oh, how does this fit into Dean? And you get that new, new bit of information to chew on. And then you could have teased that before or called subtext or just, you know, played around with the idea in your head before. But now it feels textual in a way that was super surprising, not just for the, the, the time uh, or, or the show, but for even the character itself, it was just like, what was that, Dean? What was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and if it wasn't intentional, then how did it get past so many people? Like, that feels like the recurring question of Supernaturals. How did this <laughs> get past so many people if you didn't mean for it? I don't, I don't know. Because, it, like you said earlier, you were like, are we making it up? Do people not see it how we see it? And that's the, that's just the kind of thing that spins around in fandom. And it's like, we're made, we're almost made to think that, no, what we're, what we're seeing can't really be that though. Right? Like we have to gaslight ourselves. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, they couldn't have meant that Dean is queer and frightened of being viewed as queer. Yeah. They can't have meant that. So what did they mean? And then we're like, okay, here's this house of card. I'm going to build on this premise when like Occam's razor says is like Dean's queer and he is frightened about being seen as queer. Yes. Yes. He is scared of being known on a level that he didn't manufacture. Yes. But like on a level that is personal and important to him. And something that he's probably had to protect and hide and conceal. And all of these words that mean that it feels very vulnerable for him to be seen when he doesn't want to be seen. That's and- the thing. That's the thing. <sighs> because... Like you said, Susan here made an observation that didn't fit with the persona that he thought that he was putting out or with the image of himself, didn't fit with the image of himself that he thought that he has 
been projecting. But we've seen people call him on his bullshit before. Mm-hmm. So what was it about this specific thing that caused him to become so dramatic? Dramatic. <laughs> yes, that caused it to be such a big issue in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. That hit so close to home. Because that's what it felt like. It hit so close to home. So not just that he got called on his bullshit, even though he has always, you know, so much of his self is built around him needing to believe that he can get other people to believe what he wants them to think about him. Yeah. But specifically, this one thing just seemed to hit him that much harder than anything else that we've seen before. Well, and like, as we're talking here, it's making me think like Dean's very emotionally intuitive. Like he doesn't, we we talk about him putting on a facade and playing a role, but it's not like he's sitting there in a calculating fashion. He just molds himself into being what he thinks other people need him to be. And the idea that he's this emotionally intuitive and yet this intuition has been read as like you could be queer. Yeah. Like there's something about you that is queer, I think is frightening to him because again, he's not really someone who's sitting out here and being like, this is the persona I'm putting on in a very conscious way. And so maybe that's another layer to it is that if it's so- unconscious or subconscious then he's frightened because he's not in control of it yeah and the only other way to play it would have been to yuck it up right yeah that there isn't the insecurity there like it's just or i don't know maybe were they trying to lean in the sam is so cosmopolitan that like it doesn't phase him but Dean is a little bit more, you know, rural or what have you, that he, it really gets stuck in his craw. Like, but this is TV. So that's the thing. Like, if it was real life, if someone reacted like that, then they're either queer or they're homophobic. But we're not playing, for Dean to react that way, we're not playing Dean as being homophobic. That's not, that's. Well, Maybe the argument could be made, but it feels flimsy in comparison to the Dean has internalized homophobia. Yes. Yes. It it would have been written that he would have, like, brushed it off as a, 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 or it would have been brushed off as some comedy moment. Or he, Dean's discomfort, I should say, should be played for comedy. So Dean mm-hmm. could show that he's uncomfortable, but it would have been played for comedy. We've seen it done before. Yep. This lingered in a way that just felt really personal and really pointed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. And I was thinking about other times that, like I said, we've seen people call Dean on his bullshit before. Like if, I don't know, Dean was talking with Sam and he was like, what are you talking about? I'm getting too personal with this case. You're crazy. And then Sam says, oh, I know this is about dad. It's like, oh shit, he caught me out. We, yeah. we see Dean get angry in those situations because he's been put on his back foot. Here, yeah. we did not see Dean get put on his back foot. We, see, we saw him scurry out of the room entirely. Yeah, yeah. 
He's like, I don't even want to confront this. I don't want us to talk about this. I don't like you can see he's got a fascination with figuring out where it comes from. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, he doesn't want to know more than that. He just wants to know, you know, what he can quote unquote correct so it doesn't happen again. Right. We don't see him getting confrontational. We see him trying to play it off, but awkwardly. Like, so he, he has to know more. He has to know where he went wrong. But he's not he's not saying, oh, screw off, Sammy. He's saying, like, so why do you think they thought that? What mm-hmm. am I? What did I do wrong? What? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, like, I need to know, but I need to play it off casually. Like, I don't really, I don't really care. Yeah, but... like, don't, don't talk to me about this. Yeah. But answer this for me. Yeah. I, we don't, I don't want to talk about this. I, I cannot talk about this, but give me this answer so I know what I'm doing wrong. There was just a lot more attention paid to this than I thought there would be. Not just in us talking about it. I mean, in the episode. Yeah. I mean, we're obsessed with this moment, in case you can't tell. In case you can't tell by the extra 20-odd minutes that we tack on just talking (laughs) about this at inopportune moments. (laughs) But, like, it's it goes back to that. It's really fascinating because the Occam razors, at least as far as I can see it, the simplest explanation is Dean has internalized homophobia. That he is feeling prodded and he's responding to. And yeah, the whatever comedy they were trying to make out of these scenes, I'd say backfired. I just, I can't even believe that they thought they were making comedy. I I can believe that it was written as comedy, but when it was filmed and acted and yeah. directed and produced... It's like, oh no, this is, we're going to do something different here because it might have been written as comedy, but this is, this is more interesting. Yes, exactly. Which is wild, Supernatural. Why do you do this? Why do you do this? You can't just do that and not expect us to go insane. I mean, I... My brain has unhinged. (laughs) Yeah, there's no more. I have no more. No. 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 Yeah. In case you can't tell, my final takeaway is the same as yours. That there's this fascinating character beat with Dean that I will forever puzzle over like a Rubik's Cube. And I know I can go look up how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Thank you very much. (laughs) But this is just going to be... I don't know. It's it's that like three seconds where he's holding that fake smile and then he looks down and he lets it drop. Like that is not a man who is like, oh, that doesn't hit close. Like that that hits him in a personal place that he wasn't expecting. Yeah. Yeah, my takeaway is that I don't know how anybody can come away from this episode and not consider this a textual piece of Dean's psyche. Yeah. Yeah. The whole way that he responds to it, how it becomes this big thing that he engages, like, 
he diffuses his anxiety into all of these other moments that otherwise just feel like he's being aggressive for no reason or he's being snarky. Like, it's just all compensating. Again, you know what? We should have just gone to Sam. Think you're overcompensating. Uh-huh. That that sums it up right there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that is season two, episode 11, Playthings. What's next week? Next week is episode 12, Night Shifter. Night Shifter. That was a quiz. Is that right? Did I get that right? You did. Oh my God. That was a test. It was... And I passed it. Three out of five. Oh, no. That's not really a good <laughs> passing score. Hey, it's still passing. Okay. Okay. Well, I am i don't even want to accept it, but thank you. <laughs> oh. I... You have no idea how much that hurts my overachieving heart. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to have a complex. Now I'm going to make it your problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably hey it's probably better than what what i would have done if you caught me mm-hmm. off guard mm-hmm. what wasn't it me who just earlier today was like what episode are we on again yes it was you earlier mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes so join us next time for night shifter another really goodie i'm looking forward to that And in the meantime, if you want more of our lovely meta and ramblings and general unhingedness, you can always listen to our backlog. But please, before you go, leave a review, drop a five star, leave a note if you really are feeling excited and follow us on social media and tell a friend about us. Yes, we love to see the reviews. It really does help us reach a larger audience. But 90% of our viewership comes from word of mouth. So when you guys recommend us to a friend or get on social and talk about uh, the meta that you hear here, it, it spreads far and it means so much to us and we'd love to see it. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and uh, spreading the word. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.